Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from Quince. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Dori Shafrir. Well, hey, I'm Kate Spencer. And we're not experts. But we are two friends who like to talk a lot about ye old serums. Yep. Hi, Kate. Hi, Dory. Just feeling my neck zits as we talk. You know, I don't see any. Are they under the skin? <sighs> They're above and under. Really? They're all around. Okay. They go down, they're like on the underside of, they start on my chin, then they go down under my chin, and then they go almost onto my neck. It's a new spot for me. Wow. Yeah, it's a new zone. Do you know what's causing them? I don't know. I've had them for a while now. Okay. And part of the problem is that I keep picking at them. Ah. And I keep turning them into bigger things. I cannot stop picking them. Yeah. That's why I'm touching them right now been there done that yeah it's really hard it's rough i'm not i'm not bothered by them aesthetically Mm -hmm. 
You know, I don't want there. It's not like when you have the big like boil zit on the tip of your nose. Yeah. Or like the corner of your mouth. Zit. Yeah. 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 You know, those Do they are hurt. Hard. They don't hurt. They just I like I've tried to pop them so many times, but nothing comes out, and then they just kind of scab. Are and you then I just sure keep... they're? I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. Throw something out there, Doctor Dory. Are you sure they're zits? I think so. If you're popping them and nothing's coming out, well, I'm just kind of squeezing and scraping. Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound good, right? I shouldn't be doing that. I mean, look, you're talking to a classic squeezer and scraper, but oh, it's just so hard. So I'm just, I'm just like, I'm stroking them right now as yeah. we're talking. I just can, like, no. The reason I just I say that is because I wonder if it's a rash. I don't think it is, but okay. I will. I'll do further examination, okay, and if need do. be, I will contact a medical professional. Okay. Um, but no, I'm just, you know, washing my face per usual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm in my creaming experiment, mm-hmm. starting into week two of the yep, cream experiment yep, with yep. my Augustinus Batter cream. Batter. Batter. I'm never going to get it right. I apologize. <laughs> to hair batter. Yeah. <laughs> you did take German in college. Yeah. <laughs> I did not. Um, so anyway, I bet I, I don't normally get zit zits like this yeah like this like a, a wide swath yeah um which is again it's all fine sure but i want to like rip them off with my fingers and it's very hard not to oh that is tough yeah. what else is going on in your life besides zits well besides zits i have just been slowly digging into my disordered eating world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as i've mentioned a gajillion trillion times on the podcast mm-hmm. uh and I'm reading a book called The Fuck It Diet mm-hmm. by Caroline Dooner, which mm-hmm. was recommended to me 8 billion times by listeners, yes. which thank you, everyone who recommended it. Um, we were actually very lucky to have received a copy from the publisher. It's just I've sat on it because, you know, sometimes it takes when you're in the thick of things, it takes a while to crack open mm-hmm. the book or the article that's like about what you're dealing with. Yep. What's the takeaway so far? It's interesting. You know, I don't, I I wouldn't recommend it as like a medical text. Sure. Like for anyone who's dealing with disordered eating or body dysmorphia, again, I would say like speak to a doctor, speak to a therapist first and foremost. But as kind of an addition to the work I'm doing, mm-hmm. I'm finding it interesting and helpful. And she kind of expands she has a different take on intuitive eating which has been interesting to read about and i'm only i'm only like a quarter of the way through but the first thing she kind of hypothesizes is working on having a neutralized relationship to food and like the first step of that is eating letting yourself eat mm-hmm. without restriction which is way easier said than done and there's some like tools for it in the book but it's actually kind of what i have been doing in the past six months. Yeah. And, you know, one thing she says, which is one thing I've noticed, is that people often are very fearful of doing this because they're worried they're going to gain weight. And they might gain weight because your body is essentially kind of heading back to where it it is maybe supposed to be. Yes, exactly. And so that's been something I've been like processing for the past few months. And that's been a real challenge for me. So just then reading it in the book has been, it's been helpful. It's affirming of what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's also nice to kind of feel, I don't want to say seen, but it's, it's been helpful. So I am, I am enjoying, and also, uh, this woman happens to be a really engaging, fun, conversational writer. So it's a very easy, pleasurable read. So I am enjoying it. 
Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I've kind of been digging in more uh, into some of the binge eating that I've done in my life, mm-hmm. which is not something I had ever put a name to before. Mm-hmm. So that's been helpful really talking about it in therapy and like, what is the sensation of what I'm feeling when I'm in a, in a binge eating mode and when, when does it happen and why might it be happening and all that stuff I've been kind of thinking about. So, you know, it's been very hard, but also empowering to like dig into it, identify it, name it, name it. But also it's, it's not that it's still going on. So it's not like I've solved and cured myself. Sure. This I think is going to be just a, a, a journey for my life. Yeah. But I do feel like I'm more, I have more of the tools to kind of understand it and approach, approach it with like some self-awareness and mm-hmm. also like some self-compassion. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So so that's what I've been doing a lot of this week is just kind of I've been making friendship bracelets, reading this book. I'll I'll make a friendship bracelet while I listen to a fish show on my headphones at night. That sounds very calming. Very calming. Very much probably what I was also doing at the age of 13. Hey. Almost exactly. I just mean, using a Walkman. It's your authentic self. It is. You know what? That's my inner child coming yeah, out. Exactly. And um you know, like I said at the beginning, I've been, I'm on two weeks now of this face cream experiment. Yes. I am trying to photograph myself every day. I have forgotten a couple of days. Please don't punish me. Okay. But I took one today. I look exactly the same. Hmm. Like it's almost very satisfying to remember to document myself every day because, I, and we have a, a, a caller who's going to appear in the mini episode that we're recording today. Listeners, you will hear that shortly. Um, who talks about their $4 face cream and how radiant they are. And I heard that voicemail and I was kind of like, I, am I being taken for a ride? I don't know. I don't know. Is it all just genetics and doesn't matter what we put on our face? I'm going to solve this by the time this <laughs> podcast ends, Some, you know, whenever that might be in 2090 or whatever. I think a lot of it is genetics, but as discussed, I think there are some environmental things that we do to ourselves for better and for worse that change the way that our skin looks sure such as putting on sunscreen smoking smoking or not smoking um drinking enough water sleep sleep caffeine um i think take a sip of my coffee you say that <laughs> um you know i do think all of those things matter yeah um i also think if you you know whatever your goals are skin wise, you know, if, if you, if you want clear skin, whatever that means, and, you know, you have to work at that, like maybe there's some sort of cream that will help that. But if you're just kind of like trying to look more glowy and you're already starting from a strong base, if you will, then like, I just want my face to illuminate. Like literally in the darkness, I want it to shine. Okay, that would be weird. <laughs> want to be like one of those toys that you would squeeze as a kid, like a glow worm. I'm picturing more like the ghosts in Ghostbusters. The go. Okay. Sammy's nodding. Sammy okay. knows what I'm talking about. I want to talk about what is going on with you because this is a, something that we've discussed in the past that is, has reemerged this week. Yes. I'm excited to dig into this. I'm not. I know. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not excited like hee hee yay, but I'm mm. intrigued that this has come back up. Well, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I had gone to get my hair cut and my hairdresser was like, wow, you have a lot of hair. 
Right. And you and were I like, was like, don't be fooled. Yeah. I was like, don't be fooled. This is like still my pregnancy hair. It's going to all fall out soon. And lo and behold, like a week after that, it started falling out. Let's clarify in case people aren't familiar with this for um, women who get pregnant, uh, you're oftentimes, whatever it is, hormonal your hair thickens. It's not so much that it thickens. Okay. It's that it doesn't fall out. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. So normally your hair like regenerates every three months and the old hair will start falling out. But when you're pregnant, for whatever reason, hormonal, I believe, um, your hair doesn't fall out at the same rate that it does normally. So while I was pregnant, it was like great to go in the shower and maybe lose like a hair or two which is like has never happened in my life. And <clears throat> now it's been, you know, Henry's four and a half months old. So starting when he was probably three and a half to four months, I started losing my hair again. And, th- and I know this is just the hair that like would have been coming out while I was pregnant if I had not been pregnant, but still to like see it all coming out like that, at, like at once to be like, Oh, here we go back to the old thin hair that I hated all the time is like womp womp. It's a womp. Yeah. It's a real womp. So I'm just like, also I feel like it hits, it hits right at the point where you're like, okay, like I'm now four and a half months postpartum. I feel, I do feel more like myself than I did but I don't totally feel like myself still. My body's not where, like, I, my body's not the same as it was before. Might never be the same. My hair is now falling out. So it's like, just when you kind of start to feel like a little bit better, it's like, oh no. Yeah, your body just keeps changing in a very yeah. abrupt way. Yes, exactly. So I'm sort of like, like, reckoning with that right now well and you've talked about how you've had extensions in your hair mm-hmm. and just like your own experiences feeling yeah. in, i would is insecure the right word of, yeah you have thinning hair yeah um so is that kind of reigniting those feelings totally and i'm like remember remember a while ago i was like i'm thinking about getting a wig yes i'm now like rethinking getting a wig why not for real yeah i mean why not whatever i think it's the kind of thing where what your comfort inside and out or an individual's comfort inside and out i think is really important and valuable but that's also like i'm so vain like why do i care but i do care but you can't we don't exist in a vacuum like we we exist in a world of beauty standards and expectations and marketing and advert. I mean, there's no way I think yeah. to fully not care. Yeah. That person who doesn't care has reached Zen status. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think also like I went to the beach this weekend and my friend was taking pictures of me and Henry. And then I saw the pictures and I was like, Oh, I don't look the same in a bathing suit as I used to. And I was like, I don't feel good about that. And then I felt bad about not feeling good about that. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be like all body positive. One thing I that has really resonated with me is this idea of being body neutral mm. as opposed to body positive. What is the difference? Uh, 
That's a great question that I'm not sure I can totally articulate, but I think the idea is that it can it can be hard to assume that everyone can experience body positivity, mm. but being neutral toward your body, like this is what it is. I accept it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be like gung ho. Look at me, right? Like, you know, body posy power. Because I don't think that's realistic for everyone. Yeah, and again, in the various structures of our society, you know, so. I'm not articulating myself well, but I think there is, that is kind of a challenge. I've experienced that too, where you, you have an, you, you have an ideal for how you want to feel about yourself Mm -hmm. and, and you want that feeling to be acceptance in any way. And then when you don't feel that acceptance, you then feel guilt for not. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that becomes kind of a vicious cycle. So I think. I think striving for kind of a neutral relationship is more uh, realistic, perhaps mm-hmm, for mm-hmm, many people. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I I get it. It's it's there's a lot of like I there are some Instagrammers who I follow who are doing a lot of like self work on this and sharing it, and I find it very useful just for my own body acceptance mm-hmm. because it's really hard. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm also just like, I'm still breastfeeding and pumping. Pumped on my way over here. Pump is sitting on the table right now. Sure is. Very sanitary. Um, And like my boobs are just enormous. I can't like my life is dictated by when I'm breastfeeding or pumping. And I just can't get like, I feel like I can't fully get my life or my body back until I stop but I'm not totally ready to stop yet. But I feel like I'm getting closer to being ready to stop. This um, reminds me a lot of when I went back to work after my first daughter was born. I was working uh, at VH1 full-time at their office, and the my whole day was dictated by, you know, going up two sets of elevators to the 50th floor to pump in a room. And, then yeah. free, and it was just non, this kind of nonstop, the the pumping dictated so much of the structure. Yeah. Of the day. Even when I worked from home with my second kid, it it is nonstop, and it's the the when you don't pump or breastfeed or while your boobs fill up and turn into hard watermelons, mm-hmm. which is a very weird, uncomfortable experience, and then you kind of risk getting mastitis. And yep. So look, it's a journey. So it's just not, all of it's that an is uncomfortable happening. journey. Yeah. And you know, I know we've heard from a few listeners that uh, I should say don't appreciate the extent to which that I've been talking about Henry. Um, Yes, we have heard from listeners who've expressed that. And I sympathize with that feeling. Um, And I know, I especially know for people who have been struggling to get pregnant or who did struggle to get pregnant or whatever, um, it is probably not that fun to hear about that. But all I can say is that this is this is what dominates my life right now. And that's just the reality of it. And this is a podcast about our lives in a lot of ways. And how we care about ourselves. <laughs> and how we care about ourselves. And this is basically dominating my self-care right now. So look, if it's too hard for you to listen to the podcast right now, like I understand that. But I'm not going to stop talking about Henry or how Henry makes my how Henry makes me feel or motherhood in this way. This is not a podcast about motherhood or parenthood, but this is 
part of my life in a big way right now. So I just wanted to put that out there. Speak it. Def- yeah. And we, we are not making this into a podcast about no. motherhood. If we were, I'd have to tell you about my kids' itchy buttholes. And you don't, <laughs> you don't want to hear about that. You know what? I don't. No, you don't. No, I really don't. And I forced you to hear about it because I texted you last <laughs> night. Um. So anyway, the other, the other totally unrelated thing that I just wanted to bring up that has also been sort of a recurring theme is I bought tickets to high holiday services. Hey, that a former intention, a former intention, totally circling back. And we were invited to a Rosh Hashanah dinner. Look at you. So what my plan is right now is to take Henry to, there's like a children's service on Rosh Hashanah. I'm going to take him to that. If he's awake, I mean, it's all dependent on his nap schedule. Rule everything. Um, and then on Yom Kippur, I'm going to go to Kol Nidre, which is the night before, like when Yom Kippur starts at night. And then I'll go during the day. And since I'm breastfeeding, I won't be fasting. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, happy new year. Thank you, Kate. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to mention this is, I did not write this down. Well, I'm ready to be surprised. So you all are probably hearing this episode on the 19th of September, but I just want to remind everyone that yesterday, the 18th was thank you note forgiveness day. <gasps> Shit. Over on my couch is a stack of thank you yeah, notes. It was, it was thank you note forgiveness day. So your, your thank you note debts have been erased. And, and, or if you feel like you want to send a thank you note that's like five years overdue, you can do that. With no guilt. With no guilt. None whatsoever. I should send one to the person who bought my kid baby Ugg boots, who I still think about. Yes. Didn't let, buy them a proper... Let it write go. A thank you note. Just let it go. I can't let that one no, go. No, no, I know. But I'm saying like, oh. you could send the thank you note and just be like, look, I know that this is slightly bonkers to be sending this, you know, seven years late, but I've been thinking about this. I know I never thanked you for these. They probably do not remember. Not at all. But... It will, it will probably make them smile. Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to send that person a thank you. I might have to do it over email. I'm not sure I have their address, but I am ready. Okay. I am ready. Okay. Thanks for reminding me about that. Anytime. Well, we wanted to touch a little bit about a favorite topic of ours, but one that kind of came back up when we interviewed Dr. Joy yep. uh, and talking about therapy. Mm-hmm. And I know we both mention often that we go to therapy and we see therapists, but I wanted to thought we could dig in a little bit more about how we, what have our experiences been mm-hmm. in therapy, how we found our therapists, what have been some pros, what have been some cons, how we make it work for our lives and budgets, mm-hmm. because sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and I've been in therapy since I was 25. Mm-hmm. I am 40. Mm-hmm. That has been an on and off experience for me. And I think the biggest challenge for me with therapy as a people-pleasing obliger mm-hmm. type person, scared of confrontation, afraid of upsetting people, can't quit jobs because I'm afraid people are going to be mad at me, that kind of person. Um, the hardest thing for me is kind of taking ownership of therapy. What do you mean by that? I mean 
having it be what I want it to be. Mm. I agree it is a it is a partnership with the therapist that you are working with. But for example, one thing I think about a lot is that the first ever therapist I saw who I found when I was um, 25, I found just over insurance. My, you know, I looked, I was lucky to have insurance. I looked up therapists and I found this person. And it was not a fit. And I could kind of sense that in my bones, but I didn't know what therapy was supposed yeah, to look like. Yeah, you didn't know what a fit was supposed to feel like. Yes, or that it could be different from what I was experiencing. So I just kind of kept going. And at one point in a session, this therapist fell asleep, which I don't know if I've never mentioned this I think on the you podcast. Have. They fell asleep and I was talking and this therapist used to have me lay on a couch and they would sit behind me. So was, was it psychoanalysis? I don't even know, Dory. I was not, in, I just was not really educated. I don't know. And all of a sudden I heard them snort and say something. Oh and then God. they were like, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I, I dozed off. And I, I was just like, what, what is happening? Yeah. But then I couldn't, um, I could not. I, sh- I think I should have ended that relationship. Yes. But I didn't. I didn't. And I wanted to. So breaking up with therapists has been really hard for me and kind of having the confidence to determine what I want out of the relationship. Yeah. I've normally just kind of been like, whatever this therapist says is what it is. And I now am kind of more in a place where I feel comfortable doing that. I also had one situation where I broke up with a therapist and then they made me come back for like a breakup session. Oh God. Which cost me a lot of money right. to do. And I should have, I should have said, no, I don't want that. Yeah. But instead I was like, okay. And then in that session, the therapist kind of alluded, made, made some comments about me and why they thought I was quitting, which made me really uncomfortable. Wow. I guess I haven't had the best experiences in therapy at times. But other times I've had really positive, positive experiences. And you like your current therapist. Yeah. I just, I feel I don't, there's my current therapist for whatever reason, I feel like I'm also in a place where I'm able to now speak up for myself a little bit Mm. and also be more honest in therapy. There Mm -hmm. have definitely been times where I haven't always been fully honest because it was almost too painful for me. Um, I'm also in a space where I can afford going to therapy right now. My insurance it's out of network. It's on an inch. It's on an in-network therapist, and I can afford that. Um, there have been other times where I've seen therapists in-network, or actually gone to therapists on a sliding scale, um, which made it much more affordable. But yeah, I do really like my therapist, and also because I think my therapist is geared towards specifically working with people with working with people with anxiety. Yeah. Um. It has. She's able to to put in a lot of the things I go in and talk about we're looking at through a lens of of a person with chronic anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder, i.e. me. So that has been, that has been helpful. Um, and how did you find this therapist? My psychiatrist. But it takes a lot of trial and error. And I think yeah. that's one thing we don't often talk about with therapy. And, and, and I think advocating for yourself the same way with a medical doctor it's really important. Totally. And I am learning how to do that every freaking day. And it's really hard. You've been in therapy for a long time. Yeah. I mean, same like on and off. But I first went to therapy in college. I went to like my college, you know, mental health services. Um, I think it was my senior year of college. 
me and two of my friends all went to the same psychiatrist at mental health services um who (laughs) she 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 would like snort through her nose like the psychiatrist yeah she had this like tick of snorting through her nose we all really liked her but we didn't tell her that we were all friends, but we would like compare notes. Okay. Which is okay. probably not like what you're supposed to do. But I actually found her really helpful. And she um, she prescribed me Prozac, which helped me at the time. Um, and I was on that for probably like a year or two. Then when I graduated college, I found another therapist who took my insurance who was like kind of weird. <laughs> didn't love him uh-huh and then um i when i went to grad school in new york i i went to again like to campus mental health services and got a prescription um for wellbutrin um and then after college i was like it seems like very daunting to find a therapist so i just tried to find a psychopharmacologist and kind of a similar experience of just like going on your insurance website and being like, who's available and nearby. And, and I think this woman, this woman might've been recommended by someone, but I don't remember, but she was bizarre. She was a bizarre person. She, her office was like off union square in New York and it was decorated in sort of like Victorian, vibe there were like dolls i was gonna say were there like porcelain dolls yeah there were dolls and like a lot of it was weird and she'd written this book on dreams but i feel like she wanted me to buy it was very strange um and yeah and that was a that was a bizarre experience and then i didn't i didn't have a therapist for a few years and then i was going through a really rough time in like 2012 and I got a referral from a friend to a therapist in New York who did not take my insurance, um, but who I really liked. And so I started seeing her and I've seen her on and off for the past like seven and a half years. Like I saw her for the last couple of years I lived in New York and then I moved to LA and didn't see her. And then I found, I tried to find someone in LA went to her, went to a person a few times and was like, this is not the person. And then just like finding another person in LA seemed very daunting. And so I asked my therapist in New York if we could do like FaceTime sessions. Um, and she said, sure. And so I did that for a couple of years. I haven't seen her since Henry was born um, just because scheduling started to feel a little overwhelming. Um but I really, I really like her and she's like helped me through a lot of stuff. Um, she's also really good at like putting things in perspective and like making me see that I can be kind to myself, you know? So I appreciate her. How do you feel about friends of getting referral for therapists from friends? I feel good about it. Um, but I have also, um, asked my therapist for other referrals. Like if I don't feel comfortable referring someone to my therapist, um, 
I've ref- I referred a friend to a referral from my therapist right, and right. it worked out really well. Um, I've also sent a couple people to my current therapist. I think one of them it worked out with and one of them it didn't, but those are both people who I'm not like super close with. I think it's interesting because that was always my go-to in terms of getting a recommendation for a therapist. And I still rely a lot on friend recommendations, but the therapist I had kind of a negative experience with a few years ago was a friend recommendation who had loved this therapist. And so it is, it was eye-opening to me to remember not every, even if your therapist is a fit for your friend who may even have the same concerns or issues yeah. as you, they might not be a fit. Totally. And that's fine. Yes. And not to feel like, um, you know, you have to, you sh- quote unquote should like this person yeah. because a, a friend sees them and likes them. Totally. Um, but the one last thing I will say is that I've been like intrigued by the idea of couples therapy for yes. a long time and we just like haven't been able to fit it in. Um, but now, you know, we see that financial coach mm-hmm. and that's kind of like scratched the itch a little bit because we've excavated, I would say we've like excavated some things about our perspectives on financial stuff that has been really interesting, even though our the coach is not a therapist and is very clear about not being a therapist. It's just the nature of the conversations, I think, has brought up a lot of things that would have naturally come up in couples therapy. So I've, I've been sort of like, hmm, we should try that. And then... I don't do anything about it. Yeah, we've I've definitely been to couples therapy sessions with my partner. I would love to go again just because I think it's really helpful. And it's nice having a space with a mediator. Yeah, totally. So you aren't the two of you aren't trying to navigate your challenges or your shared accomplishments. Yeah. Um just the two of you. I think it can really help to have that outside party to just work with you. Yeah. I mean, it's helped me kind of, I think it's helped me understand Matt more, Sure, um, understand like where he's coming from. And I think it's also helped Matt understand like where I'm coming from. Yeah. Um, so it's been, it's been really helpful. Well, we would love to hear listeners experiences with therapy. Yeah. We or would. listener therapists. Or listener therapists. Ringle dingle us. Yeah. Hit us on the jeans. Hit us on those jeans. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, We're talking to Lauren Ashley Smith. Yay. Comedy writer. Genius. Yes. The best. Genius comedy writer. Genius comedy writer. Um, So we'll be right back. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Kate, I feel like we are, like, barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events there's weddings there's nights out it's vacations i mean like all the things happening in summer and what i love is that honey love has just the right thing for all those events feel comfortable and confident this summer with honey love's best selling superpower short the superpower short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing 
as we speak. I wear that my, thing every day. I do too. Uh, it's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Okay, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say like I I I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires and just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, "Oh, God, like get this off of me. No, thank <laughs> once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it like, could be. Yes. Also like summer sweat under those underwires. It's like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast, but I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year, I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like, I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college, so this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes, Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe 
like for the long haul without spending a fortune, I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic, whether it's winter or or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Our guest today is Lauren Ashley Smith, and we are so excited Lauren is here today. Lauren, welcome to Forever 35. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a huge fan, and so I'm truly honored. Oh my gosh. Well, this is a true treat for us. Um, I'm going to read your biography, a short one, not like your full life story. Lauren Ashley Smith is the head writer and co-executive producer of HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show. She is the first black woman to be head writer of a sketch television show. She is the former head writer of the critically acclaimed late night show The Rundown with Robin Thede. While there, her sketch The Hairmaid's Tale was named number three on Time's list of top 10 late night moments of 2017. And it's very hilarious. Everyone should run out and watch it after this interview. And prior to the rundown, Lauren wrote and produced many other series and specials, including Best Week Ever, Fashion Queens, and Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen. Originally from St. Louis, Missouri, Lauren currently lives in New York City with her wife, Brooke. And Lauren and I once worked together many moons ago at Video Hits One. We sure did. VH1, Viacom's true station of of old people i guess is what i'm trying to say i would say that vh1 has the most ever-changing personality of any channel i've ever watched or worked for and i respect that i would love to kind of start there lauren because your career has been really amazing and you are now in, in this incredible position as head writer of a black lady sketch show which just got renewed for a second season on hbo which is amazing um So could you kind of take us through how you initially got your start in entertainment and TV and how that and and comedy and how that kind of went from the production side to the writing side to the head writing side? Totally. So I uh, started my career as an intern at VH1 that I got through a woman who was a trustee of my college. And we like sat next to each other at a luncheon when I was still in college and hit it off. And 
she asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to move to New York and I want to work in TV. And she was like, well, I know someone who works at VH1. I can get you an interview for an internship which was extremely kind of her to do. And I got the internship and I did it over a summer and I was so confident and audacious that I recommended one of my roommates that I was living with for a job. Like she had graduated from college and I, they were looking for a production assistant. So I was like, I know someone, even though I do not work here. And they, (laughs) they took my recommendation. They hired my friend and she worked there for the nine months that I was finishing college And then she got promoted and they hired me to take her position. So it was like a really great um, setup for me. And I sort of started doing production assistant things like transcribing, running tapes back when people use tapes. Um, And I sort of worked my way up in VH1 News as, uh, you know, on the producer side. And then I got the privilege to be a producer on Best Week Ever, the reboot. And as part of my producing and what happens at VH1 a lot would be that like as a producer, you would sort of write your scripts and then uh, send them to the writers and the writers would, you would just like the gist of it is blah, blah, blah. And the writers would turn it into like jokes and, and good language basically. And they took me aside at one point when I was producing and they said, you know, we never really have to change your scripts. Have you thought about writing? And I'm like, I was like, Oh, I guess because I am doing improv and sketch, but I really didn't ever dare to dream that that part of my life would, uh, intersect with my professional life and so I was a producer on best together and part of being a producer meant that like you pitched a lot of segments and wrote things sometimes and were part of the collaborative process and I ended up pitching a segment that became a staple on the show every week and I had a large hand in writing it because I came up with it so then the next season I submitted a packet and I got staffed as a writer and then from there I wrote exclusively Wow. And then when you went to watch what happens live, were you also writing just strictly writing? I know I was like producing. So it was more like uh, collaborative and sort of coming up with, you know, the ideas for things and helping make sure that the the show had a cool and unique voice. Um, so that was like a hybrid of producing as well. And then when I left Watch What Happens Live, which was a job that I loved and would have stayed at forever. I saw that Robin Thede, who I really admired and thought was so fantastic from the nightly show, was getting her own late night show. Um, but I was unrepped and I didn't have an agent or an in or know anybody or know her. But someone miraculously at the last minute forwarded me the packet, the writing packet for the show, which is basically like in television writing, they will make a call for submissions and say, like, we need you to send a sketch um, write a, a monologue, monologue jokes about this topic and send us three ideas for uh, a field piece and make sure all of your ideas fall within the news cycle of this day to this day. That's generally what you get with a late night writer's packet. So I got forwarded the Robin Thede packet and I was like, there's no way I'm getting this job because they do not know who I am, but I'm going to submit so that they have my email for the next time they call for submissions. So I submitted for the show and I was like absolutely surprised and excited when um, I got an interview and then I got the job and I was like, this is crazy. And I was very excited. And then halfway through the season, I became the head writer and I was like, what is happening? I can't believe this. I wanted to just circle back to something you said, which was that you had never let yourself dare to dream that 
what you were pursuing in comedy could be could one day coexist as part of your professional life. And that really sticks out to me because I feel like that is an experience that many women share, which is we have a passion, we have a thing we're good at. And often we don't even let ourselves think that this could be what we do. And was I'm wondering if there was a moment that really that you did start to feel that confidence or that or that sense that like, yeah, this is what I do. And not only is it what I do, but I'm like, badass at it. I think there was a moment when I was working at BH1 and it started to feel like people were asking me to take on more things or uh, were trusting me with things or were asking for and valuing my opinion in a way that I didn't ever expect them to. And when they, when they took me aside and had that conversation with me about writing, that was the moment I was like, they don't have to say this. Like it gains them nothing to point this out to me. And so it made me really start to consider and value myself a little bit more. And I think I've become better in the, you know, many years that I've been working since then at making sure that I internally have that confidence and that internal um, steadfastness and barometer so that I'm not relying on other people. Because if I feel like, you know, people always aren't going to have great things to say about, you know, you personally or professionally. And so I can't let what others say dictate how I feel about myself. So that was an eye opening moment. But I'm glad that I've sort of evolved beyond, you know, thinking like, okay, well, if this person thinks that it must be true, I have to think it and know it regardless, because what people say may change. Now that you're hiring people, how does your experience kind of being hired and having people like take a chance on you? How do you take a chance on people um, that you're hiring, I guess is what I'm wondering. Uh, It really does. I think that the way that I came to um, the jobs that I've had has absolutely impacted the way that I look at people. Like Mm -hmm. I try to, you know, move through the process with as much compassion as possible and try to, you know, give people a really fair shot at things because just because someone is the person that's, you know, the most readily visible or available, there are so many people out there that are talented and waiting for that opportunity. So I feel like I pay extra close attention to people that are maybe more off the beaten path or not just, you know, in the close circle of people that I know. I try to look beyond that because it was because someone looked beyond that that I'm where I am. When we're talking about head writer of a TV show, I feel like oftentimes people who don't work in TV are like, I don't know. I mean, I I had no idea until my husband became a TV writer. What is your responsibility and what was it like to create that show from the ground up, like from the, from the beginning seed of the idea that Robin had for it? It was a really cool opportunity because I'd never been in a room with all women and, and all black women. And so it was a really unique uh, collaborative. And I would even say like, truly like almost spiritual experience because we are all so different, the women in the room, but to have that, you know, similar starting point was just something that I'd never experienced before. And so that was really life and career changing for me. 
Um, and as far as like running the room, you know, I ran the room like I run any room. And in fact, I feel like it was easier to run because the level of uh, writing that was coming out of those women every day was just so astonishing that I found myself having to stop from being like, just in awe and be like, okay, do your job. Like that was so brilliant. But yes, uh, I still have to be at work right now. When you guys were making the show, did you anticipate the kind of reaction and response you've had when we're recording this? It's been out for about a month and a half. Is that right? Yeah, we premiered on August 2nd. And how has it been in the the weeks since just reading? I mean, you guys got great reviews. I know the reactions been super positive and you've been renewed for a second season. That's all what like anybody wants from a show. But on a personal level, what is what has it been like? It's been really cool, like just personally to have like friends and family like send me texts or quotes you know, that are quotes from the show, because I've lived with the show for such a long time and have seen it so many times. And it's still so I'm so proud of it. And it's so fun and exciting to me. So to have things that sort of only I knew, and wouldn't quote to people because they wouldn't know what I was talking about to now hear it like sort of regurgitated back to me is really fun. And to see what things land with certain people in my life. And like this person loves this sketch and this person like feels so seen by this sketch. And this person thinks that they were the inspiration for this character, you know? So that's a really cool, fun feeling just to see how many people and not just black women are really like, the the concepts and themes of the show are resonant for them. And did you live in LA while the show while while the show was being written and produced? I did. I li- I came from New York to LA, um, and I left my wife and my dog in New York, and that was a, so I was in a long distance marriage for about seven and a half months. Um, Oof, yeah. And how was that? Yeah. It was not lovely. Yeah because of the time difference like I really never I didn't understand truly the the amount of distance that it would cause it's like Mm -hmm. oh there's FaceTime you know it's not a big deal but like let's say I don't get out of you know my work or social obligations until nine like if I go to dinner after work that's midnight in New York which means that I'm going to really only talk to my wife for like five or 10 minutes before she's like trying to go to bed. And same in the morning, like when I get up, she's at work. So we, I found myself having a lot of conversations with her that were sort of like, you know, the types of conversations where like, you're both like, I'm going to have to call you right back. But like, is everyone alive? Hi, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. Like not real actual quality time. Yeah. And so it was that was strange, but it was a real ex- I'd never lived alone before. So I mm. actually am very glad that I I thought that once I got married, like that ship had sailed for me, but I got to live alone for the first time as an adult. So that was a cool experience. Um, but it was definitely really something that I was like, oh, of course, I'll go to L.A. It'll be no big deal. Like we're great and we still are great. But I underestimated the amount of the value of emotional support when you come home from work every day. What and kind, I learned that lesson. What kind of things did you do um, both as a, this is kind of a twofold question. What kind of things did you do as a couple in terms of caring and nurturing for your relationship while you were separated? If you did anything at all, because I think sometimes that can be very hard to do when you're apart. And then also I living alone, though married, was there any kind of like self-care ritual that you implemented having that space to just exist by yourself for a bit? 
Uh, I'm trying to think if we did anything really not totally, but we would uh, try to visit each other a lot, but we're very independent in general when we're, even when we're in the same city. So there wasn't a lot of extra stuff I would say. Like we just kind of, we're just like, (laughs) see you later. Like we just (laughs) were like this. (laughs) It's kind of just like, you know, temporary. I'll see when I get back. It's no big deal. Uh, So I can't think of anything really special that we did except for just like FaceTime and try to like text and talk as much as possible. Um, And then as far as living alone, I'm trying to think if there are any self-care rituals that I did probably candles because I really like candles and my wife hates them. And so I really leaned into my candle burning (laughs) because I didn't have to answer for that with, with her, without her around. I love that. It's like you're separate and all of a sudden there's like a sea of just candles. Is totally. it the scent that she doesn't like? She just doesn't un- like she doesn't understand I don't think why I like them so much. Like she's fine with them, but like I think the amount of candles that I can accumulate is <laughs> jarring to her. So, are you going to be coming back out here for season 2? I am coming back to LA uh, for season two. And so, and she's coming. We're actually moving. So, (laughs) we just got excited. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because, look, as I'm learning, in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, Okay. Which is visible on my (sighs) neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like creppiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. 
After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. And please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. What was that conversation like between the two of you to kind of make that decision? Because that's a huge decision. It w- there were quite well. My wife is a New Yorker, so she and we both love New York City so so much. But um, I think for her, she was like, "I'm happy to come to LA," but I absolutely like she. At first, she would say things like. I'm not going to just come if it's only for a couple of months. Like, you know, I have a job and stuff. So I need to, you, what, if you get something that's like a year, then I'll come. And I kept trying to explain to her that like TV doesn't work that way. Like basically what I have to do when I told her is like, I'm just going to commit to being in LA for a year or two. And then I will find jobs out there, but I'm not going to just blanket have a a year long job. I might but it's not really how things work. And so um, we sort of decided even before the show got picked up for a second season that we, you know, she was like, I'm ready for something new. And I was like, I'm committing to just being out there because having experienced it, I liked the experience of working in television in LA. Mm -hmm. And I think there's more opportunities in Los Angeles. Uh, There's just more shows and productions. So it seemed like a, a good move to make regardless. So can we talk about how you met your wife? Because you have one of like the greatest meet cutes, I think of anybody possibly in the world. You met in an, <laughs> I- an iconic way. And I and we talked to a lot of people about dating and meeting people and the challenges of it. And I was wondering if you could maybe just share the, the how you met your wife and what your experiences or what advice you might have for anybody who is in that space where they want a relationship and want to meet their person. Totally. I love talking about dating and relationships, even though I legit have not dated in almost a decade. But <laughs> so uh, I'm glad that you asked. So I met my wife. Um, we were living in New York where we still live at the time. And we both were in the uh, Time Out New York singles issue. So there's this magazine called Time Out. They have it for like major cities. They have Time Out. Chicago, New York, they might have LA where it's just like sort of like a weekly circular magazine that tells you like things to do in that city that week. And usually they have like one single person that uh, they put in the magazine. And for uh, Valentine's Day, they did a whole issue. So they had like hundreds of singles in the issue. And when uh, my friend Lauren told me that one of her friends had done it. And so she was like, you should do this. It'll be funny or whatever fun. So I signed up. And when you sign up, you say your age, your hobbies, your job. um, And you also say if you're interested in men or women or both. At the time when I emailed the editor, I wrote that I was interested in both men and women. And then at the last minute before the issue came out, I emailed her and I was like, can you just take women off of there? Because I'm not really out to like 
you know, my coworkers. And I really don't think this is going to go anywhere. And I'm not coming out in a weekly like magazine. (laughs) I'm not doing that. Um, And she was like, no problem. No problem at all. Um, So right before the magazine came out, I went to get my picture taken and I had on like a skirt and a shirt or whatever for the photo. And then after I took my photo, I changed into sweats, like a sweatshirt and sweatpants because I had to go to uh, an overnight edit because I think it was like the American Idol finale or something was happening in LA. And I had to make a news package for VH1 News about it for the next morning. So I knew I was going to be at work all night. So I put on comfortable clothes. And as I was sitting, filling out my release for my photo shoot, the doors of the office of timeout flew open and in stalked this like very aggressively over the top person with half of her head shaved and like a leopard print mini dress. And I just was like, ugh, that kind of person is like, so a lot and like such the kind of New York person that I cannot stand. Um, and it was my wife and she looked at me and was like, who wears sweats to a photo shoot? <laughs> but we didn't Dying. speak. Oh my God. And then how so, did you go from that moment to meeting? So then a few days later, they had a party for the singles in the magazine at a hotel bar downtown. And uh, I was standing at the bar with my friend and my wife walked past me and it was really crowded. And she like came up to me and was like, I remember you from the photo shoot. Ah! And like her face in my face. And I was like, ah, but then kept walking. And my friend was like, who was that? And I was like, some lady from the photo shoot. Um, But again, we didn't speak like she was just like walking by. And so later at the party, my wife was talking to the editor of the magazine and the editor was like over the spread. And the editor was like, yeah, at the last minute, a lot of people changed who they were interested in. And my wife said, point them out. And the lady pointed to me amongst the people she pointed out. And my wife was like, all right, cool. Came over, started talking to me. We really hit it off because at the time I worked at VH1 and she worked at BET and she's very white. And so I thought that was very funny. Um, And she was just so kind. And she invited me and my friend to get dinner at the hotel restaurant. And we said no, because I didn't have any money. And then like an hour later, we're still talking and she invited us to go to a bar nearby. And we went to the bar and uh, we walked in and she knew everyone there. And it was like mostly black people. Like she knew the bartender. She knew the DJ. She knew people sitting in the booth. She's just very cool. And, um, I just found her to be so charming and not at all the intense, like weirdo that I thought that she was. And, um, so we, she gave me her phone number, I think. And we rode home together in a cab, like I dropped her at her house. And then I rode up to my, my house and I got back to my house. It was like one o'clock in the morning and she had found me on Facebook and I have a very generic name. My name is Lauren Ashley Smith. So there are like a billion of them on Facebook, but she found me and she sent me a message and it just said, you got my number, but I didn't get yours. And I just wanted to let you know that I like you and I'm serious. And it was very direct. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah. And so I responded and then we went on our first date like two days later and have been together since then. And our pictures are next to each other in the magazine. On perp, like, did they know, or just that's just no, like, no, <gasps> no, just by random. That gives me chills. Oh, that is so fucking great. That's so such a great story. What I'm hearing is that everyone should be in a magazine to meet the love yes. of their life. Yes, 
Had you were you at a point when you did that where like you had kind of given up on dating or were you very open to different opportunities? Because like putting yourself out there in that way, although maybe it's more commonplace because people are putting themselves online every day on dating apps now, but that feels like a big chance. It 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 did, and it felt, but it also felt like so just like not serious that it was more of like a funny thing to be like, oh ha ha, like I'll be in this magazine. And, you know, my wife did it because she wanted a free photo shoot. And so it was just like not, it was low stakes. And this was in 2010. So this is sort of pre-Tinder. I think really the only like online dating that was really happening was like Match and like OkCupid and eHarmony. And so it is, and also I had not given up on dating because at the time I was 24. So I was very, still very kind of young in the sense of like not really looking to get married or anything. And I actually think one of the worst things that I've done in my life is that I got married in my 20s. I got married when I was 29 and I never wanted that for myself. I always wanted to get married in my 30s. And so I actually am like, I can't believe I met the love of my life when I was 24. (laughs) So young. I did the same thing and I have the same thoughts and I was married at 29 and I was not expecting it either and then my husband I was stomped like, in yeah I'm like I'm not getting since second grade I was like I'm not getting married until I'm at least 32 or 33 at the earliest no. and I messed it up but you know what it's a good story to mess up with and, yeah and you guys seem like a perfect pair I mean I'm literally looking at your Skype avatar and it's the two of you in your wedding dresses and it just feels f- like fate <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask about pop culture as self-care because we talk a lot about it on Forever 35, but I'm kind of curious about your perspective because you're on the other side of things as the person who makes the pop culture that people then consume as self-care. And I know you're also like a huge pop culture person. I should say you are a wonderful social media follow for anyone who's interested. Oh, thank you. Um, but I guess maybe on both sides of things, what what pop culture is your self-care? And then how does it feel to make stuff that brings people just pure joy and, and happiness and ease and comfort? My main form of self-care is television and podcasts are a close second, but I love TV. I love the art of TV. I think all TV is beautiful. Um, I think that it takes so much to make it that I really respect when people do it period. And I think that there are so many different kinds of shows that are elevating the genre in uh, innovative ways. And I see shows like Breaking Bad and The Americans um, and The Handmaid's Tale shows that I love in the same category as Vanderpump Rules, 90 Day Fiance, Housewives of Potomac. Like I think the same level of work is being done on all of those shows. And I truly, I find it so soothing and I find it thrilling and I learn things from watching television and I get to see different parts of, uh, you know, the human experience from TV. And I just truly, I'm a huge TV fan movies. I literally see one a year and do not care at all, but TV, I love, love, love. Um, and so on the other end, when it comes to making television, like it's a job that I take extremely seriously because I know how much it affects people. I know how much it affects how people see the world. Like I know that there are some people that I went to middle and elementary and high school with who like the first 
their first impression of a black person was from like a TV show. So I know that that's a huge, you know, privilege and a, a huge responsibility as someone who makes TV to know like, okay, if I'm putting this imagery or this type of thought, you know, on television, how is that going to affect how people perceive this category of people as they move through the world? And so I take it super seriously. Um, and I feel honored that like people would, you know, use things that I've had a hand in as self-care. They do. I mean, I think they like that's so key to everything you make. I sometimes can feel weird. I, I imagine making comedy to to really realize the impact that it has on people's lives and well-being and it can really it can save people in really hard times or in, in in any any kind of time absolutely like i can think of so many times that i've been like sad or even like i've seen things you know on the internet that like upset me or gave me anxiety and i know what shows to put on to counterbalance that like i'm like if i'm terrified and like my heart rate is very high. I'm going to put on an episode of Arrested Development because it makes me so happy and it's so non-stressful that I know that that can legit bring my heart rate down. Um, or if I'm like, oh, I want to be thrilled. I know the exact episode of Gossip Girl where one of the characters says that she killed someone that's like going to get me like, that's going to give me the like sort of suspense feelings that I want if I'm feeling like a little bit inert. So I really truly like will often like self-prescribe media to help me get through the day. What are some current shows that you're watching? Oh man, everything. Um, Real Housewives of Potomac. I've really dived back into that and it's elegant and it is iconic. (laughs) Such a good word to describe it. (laughs) Elegant. That's beautiful. It is elegant television and I love it. Um, same for succession. I've just got into that and it is thrilling to me. And so just like, uh, it, I love the style of it. Um, and I love the tone. And so I really am enjoying that below deck Mediterranean. Ooh. Just the height, height of programming. And these are all shows too, with the exception of succession that like you can kind of just jump into like below deck med. I maybe watch every other season, but because it restarts, you know, every season, you don't have to have this sort of long backlog of, uh, you know, knowledge of the universe. It's still enjoyable. And I like things like that every once in a while too. And below deck med to clarify is just people working on yachts in the Mediterranean. Absolutely. So you have a crew, um, who, do they work these chartered yachts uh, in the Mediterranean? So right now they're in the South of France. And so you get to see the interpersonal relationships between the crew that like does the cleaning and like the hauling of the stuff. And then also the stewardesses, which they feed the uh, guests, they give them drinks, they set up beautiful little day trips and stuff. And then every episode, they have a different set of charter guests. So each charter is about three days. So you get to see sort of the B story is always like whatever's happening with the guests on the boat. And obviously they're exceedingly wealthy. And then at the end of the episode, you figure out, you find out how much they got tipped. And that usually goes hand in hand with the way that they behaved interpersonally on the crew. 
So if it was something bad happened with the chef, their tip is going to be lower. Um, and then if something good happened and they like all work together to solve a problem, their tip is going to be higher. Oh. And there's just so much drama and it's great. Oh, that sounds really good. I've never watched any of the below decks. I highly recommend. Okay. <laughs> I will take your word as someone who I know is a true expert. Yeah. Um, well, Lauren, this has been so much fun to get to talk to you. Um, we when will do you even know when the next season of a black lady sketch show will be out i know you're going to start writing soon do they even have that planned i have no idea well the good news is you can watch the first season on hbo and on hbo go absolutely and it's freaking hilarious i recommend it to anyone and everyone and lauren where can people find you if they want to follow you they can follow me on instagram and twitter at mslas Awesome. Easy peasy. Um, Lauren, thank you again so much for coming on Forever 35. We're so glad to have you. Thank you guys for having me. It's such a true treat. So let's intention it up, Dory. Let's do it. Intench time. So did you make those doctor's appointments? Well, I made some of them. Okay. Still waiting to hear back from my podiatrist. All right. Um, I did. This is not a doctor's appointment, but I did make my haircut. Oh, good. Appointment, which I kind of lumped into my yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, I made my dentist appointment. Great. And then today I'm calling the eye doctor because Amazing. Um, I need I, I need to get more contacts. Yeah. Uh, but I, I haven't seen the eye doctor in like two years. Okay. So I really, and also like reading small books print is getting hard for me so mama needs some reading glasses yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna make my eye doctor appointment shout out to my eye doctor located where dory you got this costco yeah she's there in costco (laughs) my eye doctor is located inside a costco you know nobody's surprised so (laughs) i did make those appointments yes um and what about this week okay you uh, look this has been a recurring intention for me hashtag piles oh same i literally though in my in our bedroom i mean our bedroom is just a disaster and i really want it to be a place where like i because ret- my bedtime is getting better my bedtime retreat mm-hmm. like i'm retreating at nine o'clock at night that's great getting into my bed reading going to sleep but i'm surrounded by small mountains of junk yeah i just have piles papers yeah mists for my face yeah Lara bars. Yeah. What isn't in the pile? A bra. I mean, it's just stacks. So I really, I just need to do it, but I just don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, Dory. I, I get it. Uh, so I got to make myself. You got to make yourself. So I have to say it here on this podcast to hold myself accountable. Well, this is sort of related to my intention from last week, which was to clean my office space so it's more conducive to doing work did and clean up the it? dining room table. Well, for my office space, I did clean up the dining room table. Um, for my office space, I was sort of forced to because there were some ants on my desk. Uh oh. Yeah. Did you get them? I did. It Those was not, ants really want to live with you, huh? They really do. It was not pretty, and so I was sort of forced to do some cleanup. Um, I have a little ways to go, but but I've made I've made a significant dent. Have you worked at that desk? Yes. Oh. Oh, yes. Well, that's so that's an testament mm-hmm. to your work there. Yeah. Nice job. What, Thank you. What is 
on the agenda this week? Well, kind of related to what I was talking about before, you know, even though my boobs have like taken over my life, I I need to like figure out a way to work around them in some way. Quite literally. Quite literally. Um, And I know I've talked about like exercise before, but I would, and I hate to kind of like put this sort of like number on it, but I would like to be doing some kind of exercise three times a week. Okay. Now in your categorization of exercise, does that include walking the dog? Does it include, you want to like, it doesn't include walking the dog. You want to break a sweat. Yeah. I mean, walking the dog is good and it's like a 20 minute leisurely walk, but I want to, I want to like break the sweat. I want to like do a class. I want to, yes, Kate. Do you want to try L.E.K. Fit with me, even though we determined it's probably too hot for you? I think it's probably too hot for me. And also, I feel like given the state of my boobs, all that jumping is not going to be comfortable. It's kind of like a lower, a defined class, which is more like... Really? Like a weight situation. But it's but the room is still hot? Oh, yeah. I haven't done it yet. But it, it could be real fun to go together and record ourselves for the sake of this show. Well, if it's for the sake of the pod... Then sign me up. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make you do it. But I mean, I would. Yeah. I'm open to it. But dance class, yeah, dance class, yoga. I haven't gone to yoga in so long. Yeah, you know, it's also there's a disconnect mentally when you're not physically in your yes, body. Exactly. So there we go. That's that's what I want to get back into this week. All right. Well, we've got one week. I would say for your intention, not to dictate what you do. Hmm. But don't even make it three times this week. Just make it one thing. I want to make it three times. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> because I have been going once a week. Okay. Good for you. There you go. Um, which has felt like an accomplishment in and of itself. And now I'm ready to kind of like ramp it up a little bit. Okay. And fair. I want to find that balance between like being kind to myself, but also like challenging myself a little bit. I like it. Dorian. You know? Yeah. All right. Well... This brings us once again to the end of the show. Farewell, friends. We have been honored to have you here today. If you want to call and weigh in on anything we've discussed, you can call us at 781-591-0390, or you may email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash forever35podcast, and the password there is serums. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. Shout us out on Instagram. We like it all. And a reminder that everything we mention is always on our website, forever35podcast.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at forever35podcast and on Twitter at forever35pod. And Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrir and Kate Spencer and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. And Lane Hammer is our assistant. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.